Hello, and uh, this is Jay Sraj, I'm the host for the Michigan Ross Executive Perspectives podcast. Uh, this is the fourth episode of our uh, series, and uh, uh, the agenda for today is about digital transformation that has been on the um, uh, working list and the agenda for many, uh, especially in the last uh, 10, 15 years. Uh, we've seen it starting in the first uh, decade of the 21st century. It's peaking by 2015, 16 in terms of uh, a buzz, uh, digital transformation being a buzz, but it, it really didn't uh, accelerate till the pandemic hit. And that's when uh, we have seen this uh, acceleration and change in terms of technology adoption, not just at the company level, but also at the organizational level, at the individual level. So the adoption uh, and the digitalization of the economy, of the consumer, of the organization, we see it happen uh, all across. Uh, we have with us uh, today Amir uh, Sorabi, uh, the area uh, president of emerging markets at Citrix. And we also have Maxim Sitch, the associate professor in the Department of Management and Organization at Michigan Ross to share with us valuable insights on that topic for the episode of today, which is future of work. So uh, again, gentlemen, I welcome you to this uh, podcast and uh, it's a privilege to have you both uh, uh, on, on this round table. And uh, really, I want to start with you, uh, Amir. Um, if what we have seen is Citrix had released a very interesting study. Uh, it's called Work 2035. And as I was going through it, 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 a very interesting statement really caught my attention, which is the firms with the most sophisticated human and technology integration can create monopolies in some sectors. So I'm reading it off the quote. Uh, we've seen an adoption in uh, an increase in the pace of automation. We've seen technology adoption increase across industries. So what are the key elements of the success for those companies? Well, I mean, digital transformation, as you mentioned, has been a sort of a buzzword uh, around the industry for a while. But we've seen companies, a lot of companies within the past decade, especially where they've had transformation plans where they're automating and digitizing their systems and processes to, to become more efficient. So a lot of it was driven because of efficiency and driving efficiencies and then being able to scale their companies across. The, well, when, when the pandemic hit, essentially this forced the future upon a lot of the organizations to build and really execute against that digital transformation plan that they've always had. So a lot of those plans had to be realized to build resiliency into their businesses across all types of industries, everything from that you can imagine from healthcare, from finance uh, to education uh, and, and a lot of government uh, services had to become more agile and start to deliver digitized services. If we take finance as an example, and you mentioned the digital economy, essentially finance is the heart of the digital economy. And we see that finance is going through phenomenal transformation at the moment, providing many different types of services to its customers and creating different types of ecosystems to, to provide additional value adds for its partners and climate, uh, customers. At the same time, we see that the customers have new needs, they have new requirements, and the pandemic has given essentially um, a, a purpose uh, to make sure that these new innovative services are being leveraged more. Again, when we look at fi finance as an example, or entertainment as another example, so we see the entire entertainment industry shifting and pivoting to new models uh, where 
Netflix has become a dominant player, but not only Netflix. Now we have a lot of different other platforms that are competing with, uh, with Netflix. And again, the other side of it, you see that people are competing in this virtual space for the customer's time. So outside of Netflix, you see a lot of learning platforms that are coming out. You see, as an example, MentorBox that are, that's out there that's providing different types of content and learning services to individuals that have time now uh, that they can leverage that time better. So as the whole digital transformation is coming in many, many different flavors uh, from small, medium to large organizations are transforming. I personally believe it's a great equalizer of a lot of mid-sized and smaller sized businesses to be able to scale and compete globally against bigger companies who are not adapting as fast, who are not able to uh, drive the type of change within their organization to create that, what I call internal digital cultural awareness to provide new value adds to their customers in different streams. So it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. It's a great time to be adapting to these new uh, uh, technologies that are available to us, that are phenomenal, that are allowing us to connect as companies and as individuals to the different types of services that we need and require. No, this is great. I mean, I would like to link now uh, the two. I, I think these are very important points that you mentioned. One is the uh, acceleration of the availability of these uh, platforms around education and uh, skill uh, training and SME adoption of not just technology, but of uh, new hiring uh, techniques and new talent management organizations. So, those two, I mean, right now what we're seeing in terms of the acceleration is that with these development of these platforms for uh, upgrading the skill set and the training, the uh, skilled freelancer uh, uh, emergence, which is like the digital uh, gig platforms, and there are quite a few of them. So, Maxim, I'm, I'm trying to link those two in terms of now that you have the remote workplace, now that you have the freelancer working in the gig economy, we're starting to talk about the gradual return to the office, which quite a few don't know really what it looks like now, but I'm sure it's going to take shape uh, in the next few months. So how do you reconcile for, an, let's say, an SME or any other organization? How do you reconcile organizational management and talent uh, management when you have so many different uh, uh, I would say trends and so many different uh, competing ways of doing things, remote workplace, return to the office, having a clustered organization, uh, freelancers. How do you reconcile these things? Yeah, thanks, Jay. I appreciate the question. And I, I want to second what Amir just mentioned, that I also believe that digitalization, remote work, gig economy is a great equalizer, in part because companies now can source best talent regardless of their physical location, right? This is huge for anyone who studies economic sociology, organizational design, that you're no longer constrained by your physical location in accessing the best talent. And what that means is that if you're a financial services firm or a bank, perhaps you don't have to be in New York City or Hong Kong to play in the big leagues, which by the way, to Amir's point, a lot of SMEs, for example, could not afford. If you're in tech, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley. And we do have preliminary evidence to support this. Right? I anticipate that the migration out of large cities, which by the way, we'd seen before the pandemic, will continue and accelerate, right? in part because of the availability of remote work. 
um, even before 2020, most people don't realize is that even before the pandemic, New York City, for example, was losing about 400 people daily to migration. Los Angeles, 260, Chicago, 160, right? These are Bloomberg data and these trends are only accelerating. In the, in the US, for example, in the last few months alone, we had a non-trivial migration of companies out of Silicon Valley, right? Oracle moved its headquarters to Austin, Texas, Hewlett Packard to Houston, Texas, Palantir Technologies went to Denver, right? Those are supporting these intuitions that you can now compete in variety of sectors, again, regardless of where you are located geographically. Now, the other point, Jay, that you're raising is that the needs of the workforce are also changing, right? So people are learning to be more effective working from home and many of them don't wanna to return to the office. And so part of how we think about the new way of organizing ourselves is related to strategy and the work that we do but part of it is what the workers are asking for. Because you're not, if you're not giving them the flexibility of working from elsewhere, not necessarily from home, but from a different geographical location, they might choose to work for somebody else, right? Um, that said, what worries me the most in this context is that I don't think we fully appreciate the complexities yet of running remote organizations, right? Which is our future. Most of the executives I talk to almost universally are excited about the cost savings. I can't even tell you how many conversations I've had about, oh, Max, you know, we're saving on parking, we're saving on office space, we're saving on maintenance of you know, office furniture. One marketing executive talked to me with great enthusiasm saying, Maxim, I'm saving $50,000 per year on coffee alone for one of my West uh, Coast offices. And that thinking seems incredibly myopic to me, incredibly short-sighted. I think the questions I would worry about are vastly different. So, and let me just put maybe three of those on our radar. One is that not having people in the physical office makes building cultures much more difficult. The levels of social identification, to what extent we identify with the same group, with the collective, inevitably go down. They're not as strong. Now, it makes it harder to retain, to develop talent, particularly if remote work, and I predict it will be, associated with higher levels of employee mobility, meaning people are not already staying with organizations. They're much more mobile than they used to be, right? They're changing employees much more quickly. That will only accelerate in the new world of work. And for those of us who are here skeptical about cultures and saying, well, that's soft stuff, you know, why should I care about cultures? Cultures is a huge lever in executing your organizational strategy. Culture is what people do when no one's watching. Right, when your incentives and your formal control mechanisms fail you, right? What do you do when you don't have, you know, standard rules and procedures for how to handle a situation? How do you handle ambiguous new situations? That's culture, right? The second uh, concern that I have is right now, in addition to the COVID pandemic, we have an epidemic of loneliness. And that is in part driven by the shrinkage of all social networks. Research by Balash Kovacs and his colleagues at Yale shows that that's in part driven by the fact that we've lost about 20 to 25% of our close colleagues at work, right? And what, what sort of stems from this is issues related to engagement, retention, and even mental health, right? And, and on this note, I wanna mention that we've been notoriously inadequate and ineffective and diagnosing mental health issues at work face-to-face. -face. It's gonna become even harder virtually. 
And the final thing I want to mention is learning. So as many of us know that a lot of the learning on the job transpires in, in an apprenticeship type way, right? You are there, you're observing somebody else do the work, right? You ask questions, you have big, big sort of quick back and forth. You learn by seeing others interact with clients, with other stakeholders and so on. That's increasingly difficult to do virtually. Uh, JP Morgan Chase, which is a leading global bank, just announced that most of their employees will actually return to work face-to-face. -face. Over 90% of their workforce will be back in their offices face-to-face. -face. And Jamie Dimon, the CEO of the organization, when he justified that decision said, look, I just feel like in the virtual environment, we would not be able to learn at the rate that's needed for JP Morgan going forward. So I'll, I'll pause here for a second. <clears throat> No, I mean, these are uh, excellent points that uh, really touch upon the organization side and the corporate side, and uh, as well as its ability to serve the customers. Because as we talk about the decentralized organization and remote work and uh, uh, the freelancer environment, there's also the customer and the consumer, whether it's corporate or uh, individuals, they have become decentralized as well. They have become, they have the option now, they're not limited by location they're no, and they want things delivered on the spot at home. So that kind of habit changing in terms of now I don't have to go somewhere to get something. I have, they can come to me to give me that something. And I've seen that starting to happen at both the corporate mentality as well as the individual mentality. So uh, Amir, in, in this case, yeah. Yeah, I, I would like to uh, just uh, on that thought, uh, Jay, I, I'd like to um, just uh, double down on what uh, Maxime said uh, with regards to that. And I look, I really believe that building that culture and sustaining that culture is really, really important. And at the end of the day, human beings need to interact with each other to develop and create that. Sure, a part of that can be done remotely. But when you're talking about bigger organization, mid-sized organizations, uh, there, there needs to be that sense of, of uh, human connections at the end of the day to learn from each other. It's got to be a self-learning organizations. And we as humans, it's, it's just proven. We learn more when we are, we're in communication together. What I want to come back to was that, so digital transformation, a lot of the, I would say, uh, senior leaderships initially were looking at it, again, around cost optimization. How? This is great. We're going to streamline. We're going to be able to do more with less. But the reality is the companies that you see have embraced it and are really driving and growing as a result of applying the right strategies around digital transformation are actually using it to innovate further. This has to be looked at not just from a cost optimization perspective, but more also from an innovation perspective. How do I make sure that I have a digital platform for my employee engagement, for my partner ecosystem engagement, and for my customer engagement perspective to drive that next level experience to my customers, to my employees, to my partners? And that's where the innovation starts to come in. This uh, new business models are fostered when partnerships are created and even your customers sometimes are your customers and sometimes they become your partners. So the entire landscape is changing and the companies that are able to capitalize on that, they're only not looking to make sure that they are saving money on because they, they save $50,000 on coffee and great, we're not going to have events, but they're looking at, hey, wait a minute, how do I have multi-tier events? How do I have 
engagements with my customers in a way that I didn't before from a customer experience perspective, leveraging the digital platform that's been created from that. So I think innovation is really going to be the key to growth uh, in the digital economy. And, and the basis is going to be all the digital platforms are there, digital platforms from employee engagement, the, the different ways that social media is being used in a very positive context and how even in government is embracing this to provide better services for its citizens. So I really believe the pandemic helped accelerate a lot of this. It also helped amplify a lot of the challenges that come with that. As Maxine pointed out, mental health is a major issue for us uh, as, as, as a community, as humanity as a whole, because we're not just created to be in a box, sitting down in a glass box all day, even as a family and not associate with other people just doing it virtually. That has dire impacts. We saw a spike across uh, many, many different countries around um, uh, different challenges that the kids had at home, for example, and, and, and parents had with their kids just because they were boxed in. So it's not normal for us to say, hey, this is gonna be it. It's gonna be great where nobody has to come and we're gonna reduce costs. No, there's gonna be consequences for us. We're emotional beings at the end of the day. And we need to know that uh, we need to address those uh, things at the, at the corporate level, at the government level. Here, the government of Abu Dhabi, as an example, is paying a lot of attention uh, to, uh, to parents who are at home, to women that are at home and they were working before. And what are the services that we can help provide to them? Because, hey, they had a full-time job away from the home. Now they've got the full-time job at home and they've got the kids, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the things that we need to be able to, to deal with. But again, coming back, I really believe it's a combination of with digital transformation. It's going to be, yes, cost, cost optimization, but really the companies that are going to go to the next level and, 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 and drive additional values for their customers and the economies around them are going to be the ones that are embracing innovation in a way where they're going to be able to touch talent they haven't been able to touch before, be able to leverage that talent, and then be able to bring that talent and orchestrate it in a hybrid manner. Our study was really one of the uh, points that I need to drop from our study was, was kind of really interesting. Uh, up to 60% of the employees uh, that, that we had this discussion with uh, believe that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, uh, basically contract the work and the gig economy was going to be the way of the future. And uh, this is how most organizations are going to be run. Interestingly enough, at the corporate level, only 19% of the executives thought that. So that's kind of interesting. That's one out of five. Uh, of, of senior executives who believe, hey, this is going to be the future. We'll just outsource everything to, uh, to, to freelancers, but then you're not going to build a culture, which goes back to what uh, Maxim was saying. And our study actually backs up what Maxim was, was saying around building that culture. It is important uh, for, for global brands, for any brand that's growing, to make sure that they're putting their stamp on that and that that learning is happening across their entire enterprise. So that's sort of an interesting thing from our study. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Jay, let me just offer a couple of reactions yeah. because I do think it's important. And part of it is the mindset of a corporate executive because one mindset could be with the digital economy, with remote work, with these gig platforms, let me try to restore the status quo as best as I can. And another approach, which I hear I'm mere advocating is 
how can I potentially deliver better value, better customer service in the new world? And I can tell you that certainly applies to us. So Amira, in your opening, you mentioned that there's a disruption in terms of how people how companies compete for people's attention. You mentioned online learning platforms. Well, so online education is certainly a disruption for what we do at business schools. Now we've been toying with online education for quite some time, but this was a major jolt for us. And I think it's fair to say that for myself and my colleagues, the initial response was, okay, we assume that digital education is gonna be subpar to face-to-face. -face. How can we make it less worse? But another mindset is to say, well, how can you do things differently and more effectively using digital platforms, right? So for example, I realized that, you know, physically, we do a lot of work with students in breakout rooms. Physically, I need to be a sprinter to sprint through 15 breakout rooms in 15 minutes and get in touch with all of my students. Virtually, it's a lot easier. I can also create different cadence and different pace of learning for different students virtually. So for example, some respond more effectively to video content, some to written content, some to self-assessments and exercises. In a virtual environment, you can create that individual cadence for different students, right? Um, clearly some of the things that we can do virtually now are a lot more scalable. So I really strongly endorse that perspective as opposed to thinking about how can I recreate what we had in the past using these new tools and new ways of organizing work thinking about, well, how can I deliver better value, better service, uh, better satisfaction to my employees as well in the new world? Yeah, I mean, in this case, uh, the combination of both uh, thoughts, which is innovation on one hand, uh, to think about innovation rather than cost reduction, and on the other hand is how to apply it. So when we're talking about innovation, you mentioned as well uh, uh, corporate organizations and the, and the uh, employee base, but there's, you also mentioned the innovation around delivering value to the customer. So Amir, in this case, we're talking about a major change in not just the culture, but also in the business model of a company, because if you're touching and uh, uh, trying to adapt your organization as well as trying to adapt how you work and deliver to your customer, you need to rethink what the business model of the company is. So how do you approach it? How, how are you redefining your business model? In, in well, for, for any organization, this should be uh, on top of the agenda of, of the C-level around the different business models that are out there, depending on, on what kind of industry you're in. But what, can, what I can tell you, that there's going to be profound changes in our, around what I call autonomous business models that are coming out that are going to be completely touchless from human beings. And this is with the advent of the IoT industry that is exploding exponentially with the data that is providing. So you have that IoT and compound that with blockchain for transaction and AI. Those companies who are able to take that data, create transactions and drive and optimize it with AI are going to have completely humanless, touchless, autonomous business models that are out there generating value. So that, there is that whole front that's going to be going, but that doesn't mean that humans aren't going to be around. Of course, innovation always requires the human touch. Humans will just do less of the heavy lifting, I say, and they will do more of the thinking and the creativity. And this is where this employee engagement platforms and the uh, enablement and learning platforms and the social platforms converge together to create more uh, innovation. While those, um, I would say, automated business models continue to do their thing, 
we should be then as organizations thinking, how are we then innovating the next great thing that's going to uh, bring value to our customers and our communities as a whole? I mean, look, I, I personally believe within the next 10 years, we're going to see it. We're going to, from a transportation perspective, we're almost there. It's just a regulatory perspective. If you look at, uh, for example, Tesla, automated driving is there. It's just a regulatory and the rules and regulations that have to be fixed. Getting into a car is going to be like getting into an elevator. You're going to push a button. It's going to take you to where you want to go. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you had to get in the elevator and somebody had to push the buttons for you to take you up and down, see what floors. I think transportation is going to change. So commuting is going to be a lot easier. It's going to be more efficient. That's going to have an impact on everything we do. Healthcare as a whole is going to change. What's happening with DNA and biotechnology and the convergence of biotechnology and information technology is going to be tremendous and it'll have fantastic impact on our lives as a whole on how we eat and how, how we regulate our health to have a better life. All of these things are going to create new business models that people be able to uh, uh, leverage and, and to have a better life in, in that pursuit of the uh, happiness that everyone at the end of the day has. So I think there's a lot of great things around the corner uh, for all of us. And this pandemic in a way helped accelerate, although it had a lot of bad things that came with it, but who could have imagined that we could create these type of vaccines in different streams and be able to drive the kind of efficacy that they have uh, for humanity in this short amount of time. This happened because of the convergence of technologies, of biotech, IT, artificial intelligence, all coming together and really being able to take something that was going to take, if not a decade, a little bit shorter than a decade in less than a year. That's phenomenal for humanity. And we learned a lot from that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, what you mentioned here is uh, a view of the future that that impacts basically the change or that encompasses the changes in the organization and how we commute and how we do business. So all of these uh, changes, I mean, the question now to Maxim, based on all these changes and based on what Amir had sees happen in the next 10, 15 years, which is not just a possibility, it's a probability that it's going to be like this is going to be the case. Um, I mean, I have a different perspective on this, which is we have seen uh, a lot of organizational theories uh, from the 20th century, from the 60s to the 2000s, not getting tested. So how do you think, because not much, there hasn't been a paradigm that kind of caused a major shift in uh, uh, how, we, how we view these theories. So are you looking at new research on organizational management, any new focus on how these theories are gonna change from attention-based to stakeholder, to bureaucracy, to I mean, any of those, uh, do they still apply? Are they gonna apply 10 years from now? Yeah, and so uh, before I talk about the management theory, let me just offer a couple of quick reactions inspired by uh, Amir's comments. So one is, I wanna make sure that when companies make these choices about whether and to what extent cost savings are important with digitization remote work or whether it, and to what extent to pursue IoT or you know, AI, they're really driven by their strategy as opposed to chasing the next shiny object, right? So I, I'll give you just a very concrete example. I was with the leaders of a major technology company not too long ago. And again, I asked them, why are you excited about gig economy, remote work and costs were at the top of the list yet again. 
I didn't say anything. I said, that's great. Let's talk about your strategy. And so what's interesting is that the strategy is, is not even close to being cost conscious or cost driven. It's premier tier, high value added play or high customization. In fact, you know what they realize is that remote work can actually put significant pressure on their ability to deliver value. All right, so my, my bigger call to organizations when you make these decisions is don't just you know, do what everybody else is doing. Don't just say, oh, you know, everybody's doing AI. I'm going to do it too, just because everybody's doing it without even fully understanding what that means. But be clear about what you do. Val your strategy, your value proposition is a hard set of choices, what you do and what you deliver and what you don't. And all these tools should act in support of that value proposition. Um, the other thing I want to mention to uh, folks here is that Look, I predict, in spite of the rhetoric, none of the organizations are going to be fully remote, at least in the foreseeable future. So uh, just to be clear, what I mean by this is that if you look at the history of quote unquote fully remote organizations. So for example, I spent a lot of time recently with uh, Jay Goldman, who is the founder and CEO of 10up, a fully remote web design, uh, web, um, uh, website design firm. And what people don't see is that he invests heavily in creating some face-to-face -face in an organization where most of the work is done remotely. There are the culture summit annual, a massive expense of the organization. He provides budgets for employees who live in geographical proximity to one another to get together for drinks, for dinners, and so on. So again, you know, the exterior is that it's a fully remote organization, but when you look at the inner workings of the company, there's still a lot of that you know, drive to maintain social connectivity, including through face-to-face. -face. Now, as far as the theories and what we can offer organizations, Jay, I think it's an important question to ask. And let me just mention a couple. I'd say that um, I foresee one of the biggest challenges is engaging, developing, and retaining workforce, right? So I mentioned briefly that even prior to the pandemic, the workforce has been getting increasingly mobile. Um, I often ask my executives whom I teach at Michigan Ross, and those are usually executives with 20 to 30 years of experience. I say, how many employers have you changed since college? And they typically show me one or two. And what LinkedIn data shows, for example, is that for college graduates from 2001, 2005, they switched already about four employees in just the first 10 years after graduation. Now, what complicates these things further is that think about what motivates us. We often talk about, well, is it extrinsic rewards, meaning status, money, prestige, or intrinsic, purpose, value, I love what I do. And I often ask my uh, executives, so when you look at newer generations, so millennials and those that follow them, what motivates them? Is it more extrinsic or intrinsic relative to other generations? And it's a trick question because it's neither. It's leisure. So what that means is that for the generations that enter the workforce now at increasing rates, millennials, those who were born somewhere between 1980 and 2000, already about 40% plus of global workforce, work is less central to their lives. That's a huge aspect of how we think about just organizations in general. Now think about this, how do you motivate, how do you retain, how do you develop people who first of all switch organizations a lot more often and again, don't view work as central to their lives as prior generations used to. I don't think we have a lot of theories that provide compelling responses to this, so a lot of practices at this point. Um, think about, for example, how do you encourage them to acquire organization-specific learning? 
right? So what Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan talked about is, is basically learning specific to JP Morgan Chase. How do you encourage people to invest in learning how to do work at this organization if they're about to leave you, right? Or if they're thinking about, you know, the length of the next vacation. Now, the other piece I wanna mention is that we don't know much about how do we build and sustain relationships through just digitally mediated communication. It is a well-known fact that in general, it's harder because the amount of visual auditory information we pass through digital channels is less than face-to-face. -face. And what most people don't realize now is that we do remote work with people, most of whom we at some point have met face-to-face. -face. It's gonna to be a totally mm -hmm. different story if the entire cycle starts virtually, where people join organizations virtually, when they onboard virtually, when they never interacted face-to-face -face with their colleagues, I don't think we have a deep understanding of how these relationships will crystallize, solidify, and how effective they're gonna be for sustaining workflow in the future, right? And the other piece that, that also worries me is that uh, you mentioned, Jay, and that's absolutely true, that many organizations are now doing hybrid work, which is basically some people are coming back face-to-face, -face, some are staying remote. What we know from research and practice is that these hybrid teams where some of your workers are remote and some of your workers are face-to-face -face are by far the hardest to run, the most difficult to run. They present the most challenges. You're better off just having everybody remote or everybody face-to-face -face. because when you have this inequity, there are differences in how information flows, how decisions are being made, how decisions are being communicated typically to the remote workers. So that creates a lot of confusion and potentially inequities. And again, at this point, we don't have a lot of theories that would inform us how to structure and run these hybrid teams effectively, especially at scale. I mean, that's part that's gonna be very important uh, because when, you, when you're talking about this, I mean, this is in, uh, something that we experienced in the field and in, in, in our management, when it's, and especially the function of business development. Business development is a function that depends on meeting new people. It depends on being in conferences and networking, which is something that's not been able to do in a virtual way. So the cycle of the old business is not impacted by the virtual world, but the cycle of the new business is going to be, at, I would say in, in a way, uh, inequitable in compared to doing it from a face-to-face. -face. But there's also the uh, other side of things, which is now with the mass unemployment, we're talking about millions of unemployed from different industries. So not just the entertainment industry, but uh, with the few exceptions that have really hired aggressively, we are seeing unemployment or at least a minimum of freeze uh, in their uh, hiring. So uh, how do we bring up a more equal transformation of the workforce that takes into account those that have been unemployed? So we don't wanna leave the millions behind. We wanna bring them back in. And at the same time, we wanna make sure that we have uh, a balance between inequities of at, in office, physically present and the virtual side. So it's a very complex element. So, I mean, uh, Amir, Maxim, I mean, either of you, okay. what's your thought on this? I'll jump into that and pass it off to Maxim. Look, I'm, I'm of the belief that as soon as uh, uh, the pandemic is under control uh, and, and we're able to make sure that we can start to socialize safely in a safe manner, uh, we as humans are going to be out there and about. 
And uh, if any business wants to say, hey, we're just going to make sure that you work remotely, well, your competitor is going to be out there engaged, fully socializing in a safe way, you're going to be left behind because at the end of the day, people like to do business with people, right? That's very, very important. And that will become a competitive advantage for somebody and, uh, and, and, and for, for those who embrace it and those who don't. So that, is, that comes back to the business strategy that you have as a business, which was what Maxime was saying. So what is going to be your strategy? What is going to be, in a way, your secret sauce as an organization, whatever line of business you're in? And, and you have to be able to bake that in. Obviously, there's going to be great efficiencies gained uh, from remote work, like we talked about. Hey, you're going to be able to hire any type of talent from anywhere and leverage them somehow in your business, depending on your business model. But can that be the only element that drives your business? Surely not, because at the end of the day, we, we need to be with people. We need to engage. So this hybrid model will continue to evolve and it will continue to um, take many different forms and shapes in different industries. I personally believe that the uh, financial services industry is going to go through profound changes uh, within the next decade, just because of everything that's changing within what we know as FSI to be. And, and healthcare as the other example. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that everything is gonna be remote. I think we had a lot of learnings that came from the, uh, from the pandemic. A lot of businesses are going to glean from these learnings. They're going to put it into work, into new business models. And the ones who choose, I personally believe, to focus on the future and to create new services and new value add chains will grow. The ones who want to go back to the past and stay in the past, just leveraging uh, the optimizing of the cost are going to regress because at the end of the day, when, when you stop growing, you're just, you're shrinking, right? It's, uh, I wanna say it's very, very hard to be able to predict what's gonna happen 20 years out. And I always remember this one antidote that in 1903, the Wright brothers, a couple of bicycle makers in the Carolinas basically put something together that actually flew. 58 years later, Yuri Gagarin was orbiting the earth. And, and that's incredible. And that's with the technology from 50, 60 years ago. Nowadays, I mean, it's going to be unbelievable what we're going to be in for. But it's going to it's going to come down to that really that human creativity and innovation that's going to be bold enough to take the chances on the new things, to be able to experiment with the new technologies that are available to us to create new services rather than just focusing on cost reduction and making sure that I can milk the most out of the organization. This is something that I talk with a lot of the business leaders in our great region that I cover around what is going to be the fair balance of innovation versus uh, optimization. And that those are level of, I would say board level discussions that are always uh, uh, um, fun to be uh, involved with. But uh, I think that's where the future is gonna be very hard to predict, but I'm bullish on the amazing things that are ahead of us as a whole. So Maxim, what's your thought on innovation versus optimization? Well, so first of all, I'd say that I'm very much in agreement with Amir in this issue, which is I'm also optimistic about the recovery uh, that will follow this pandemic. I also believe that in the long run, 
it might be a silver lining for many of us and for many organizations, because I think as a result, we've built much more robust and resilient organizations that can withstand crises better. Some of that learning might not be visible yet, but I think down the road, we'll see it. I, I would maybe drop it down to the level of an individual and the worker and the responsibility we'll have to have. You know, I often tell my students that it would be dishonest for me to stand in front of you and say that in four years or two years, depending on the duration of the degree, we can teach you everything you need to know for the rest of your career. We can't say that because we don't even know what your jobs would look like five years from now. We don't know what the economy exactly would look like five years from now. And so to me, one of the most critical skill sets right now is just learning how to learn and being adaptable throughout and recognizing that it's to a large extent your responsibility, that you cannot rest on your past laurels of your prior successes. And what got you here might not necessarily get you to the next stage. And some executives, I really admire how they take it to the level of organizational level thinking. So for example, Satya Nadella came in at Microsoft, a historically very successful organization. And he said, look, I view Microsoft as know-it-all company. I wanna transform us to learn it all, which is we cannot allow our past successes to essentially lead us to anticipate future success. And so I would say that uh, a more practical advice for all of us is develop some learning habits. I mean, some of it is done through business schools, through colleges, through universities, but some of it is your responsibility. You need to continuously upgrade your skill set. Um, so I'd mention this. And, you know, my bigger call would say that, look, the pandemic, the crisis, uh, it sort of creates a significant disruption, a shock, right? That will continue to reverberate for years to come for many of us. And one of the most typical responses to such shocks is to approach it as a threat, to hunker down, to turtle up, to wait for that return to normalcy that Amir was referring to, which may or may not come. I predict it may not come, right? So we're gonna live in a different world. And so another one is to actually take what we're seeing right now, which is a massive disruption, right? No one's taking that away, that it's a massive disruption. It's stressful to people, but take it as an opportunity to learn, to be better, to adapt, to upgrade your skill set, your worldviews, and potentially to gain advantage relative to your competition, right? And I really encourage us to adopt that letter growth mindset going forward. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, these are great uh, points that I think we, we can start to leverage uh, at the mass scale. So uh, education at the mass scale, this is what's uh, going to happen that's going to help us upgrade the mass unemployment. So the unemployment happened for a reason. If we build mass learning capabilities, but, but based on an individual uh, motivation to upgrade their skills, I think we can converge them to a place where there is an equity in terms of the new workplace and the new uh, uh, organization. So I really wish we had another hour to talk about this. I mean, this is amazing. But uh, just as we wrap up, I just wanted to get just a few words about your thoughts on the future of work, since this is the topic of our uh, episode today. So Amir, if you want to leave the audience with just few few words, few thoughts, what would they be? Sure. Uh, look, I think the, the future of work uh, will continue to evolve. We learned a lot from the past pandemic uh, around uh, how... Uh, digital uh, platforms can help enable services and drive services uh, and that creates different working environments it, it creates different uh, collaboration environments and it's creating a new business models for us uh, so the future of work I believe is going to be uh, furthermore collaborative we need to be able to make sure that we can manage 
remote teams and collaborate with remote teams globally. That will bring new additional value adds, but by no means and, uh, at all is it, does it mean that we're not going to be engaging face-to-face -face anymore together. I personally believe that's a big part of humanity itself. We deem it necessary uh, to, to thrive and to think and to ideate. Uh, it's amazing. I'll just put it very simply. Imagine if the three of us were together after this session, we'd probably go somewhere and have dinner together. Together, breaking bread, having food, it's human and it's something that's necessary. That's when the fun happens. That's when the creativity pours out of us and takes us out to the next level. So it's not just about the function of getting tasks done and moving on. It's about the function of how do we emotionally connect together and how do we then take that to the next level? That's something that I think is going to be critical as we move forward into the work of the future. And I think it's going to be a fair balance organizations that understand and are able to grasp and come to the terms on how to balance that out to drive innovation. Couldn't agree more. Maxim? Yeah, so I'd say that there's no denying that the world in which we work will continue to change drastically in ways that none of us can fully predict organizational design is changing. We might not be able to develop close relationships at work. We are not even sure to what extent automation and AI and everything that's related to digitization of the workplace, to what extent it will affect your job and what exactly you do. None of us know this. And again, I wanna come back to my earlier point, which is one of the responses to these situations is just to freeze, right? And say, oh my gosh, it's such a significant crisis disruption. I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna stay and wait for some return of normalcy or my ability to make sense of what's happening. Again, that normalcy that the way we used to know it may never come back. And you might never be able to make sense of what's happening because the environment is changing so quickly. And so my call for action would be, first of all, just think about the aspects of what the, what's around you that you can effectively control. Some of the things that we discussed at the macro level, they're very difficult to predict. It's scenario planning, they're largely speculation, informed, data informed, but largely speculations. So to make it tractable, focus on the things that you can control and focus most importantly for me on being adaptable and upgrading your skill set. To me, there's no way out of kind of surviving this disruption without fundamentally changing what you bring to the table. Right. And I would just say, embrace that growth mindset. Don't seek, don't seek to prove your skill set with every interaction. That time has passed because the environment is new to us. Be patient with yourself. The things that you used to do swiftly and quickly might take longer. You know, I continuously talk to salespeople and they're frustrated. They're top salespeople for organizations saying, Maxim, we used to click with customers, you know, instantly. Now it takes a lot longer. Well, give yourself you know, a few degrees of freedom because naturally there's a learning curve, right? Be patient with yourself, continue to grow, adapt, and have that growth mindset at the top of your list. Great words. So, Maxim, Amir, um, it was really a pleasure uh, hosting you guys. Very great insights, uh, very actionable outcome. Uh, appreciate you being here, taking the time, and I hope our listeners uh, really took advantage of the advice and the guidance you guys provided and uh, look forward for the next episode.